you have Bibles, uh, we're going to be, and I hope that you do, they're amazing. Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 John this morning. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 4 today. Yeah, chapter 4. Um, I have um, I've noticed uh, that I've noticed that um, it seems to me like there are constantly things in my life. Uh, it, it seems like there are goals to trip me up, right? Like if I, uh, here, uh, here's an example. Um, uh, the second I decide that I'm going to do my best to eat better, someone will call me and invite me to my favorite restaurant for lunch. Right? And you're like, what are you? Like, get thee behind me, Satan. Like, what are you? I'm trying to eat better. What, I'm going to go to my favorite burger restaurant and get a salad? I'm not a psycho. Like, uh, I, I, like, it just feels like when you set out on a way and a path, like, all of a sudden you discover these uh, unknown, unseen things that are trying to set us off, I, I, set us off the path. I, I think that that's probably just true in life in general, right? You set out to walk a path to be good, right, to be a good person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buckle down. Uh, I grew up in a tradition where you would rededicate your life every month or two if you were a serious Christian. And uh, you would just go down and be like, you know what, this time I'm serious about it is what we meant. And uh, um, so it just, it just, as soon as you would do that, though, it just would feel like there were things that would throw you off, that would set you off. I, I think that it feels to me like my experience has been this, that so often I think that I am steering the course myself, that I am at the helm of the ship. Uh, and then in retrospect, looking back, uh, it's not me at all. It's all these other things that are influencing and affecting me. Does that make sense? Uh, it seems almost like life can happen to us. I mean, do you even just like, do you think about like the things that you want and why you want them? I, 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 man, I can remember, the first thing that I can remember, off the top of my head anyway, really, really wanting uh, was a Swatch watch. Uh, you guys don't know. You can't know. Like, you can't know. Like, what a big deal that was if you were living in a small town. You can't order that off the internet. That's not a thing. Like, you just, like, you had to know someone going to Atlanta. And you had to have the money to have, I wanted a Swatch watch so bad. I really wanted two of them. That's what we did. We wanted Swatch watches and jams. You don't even know what those are. They're shorts that were bright colors. It was the 80s. It was insane. It was wild. They were, the 80s were crazy. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, actually, no, it was terrible. Every time I see a young kid, I'm in Taco Mama, and I see a young kid wearing checked vans, I'm like, you don't know you weren't there? Like, the 80s were bonkers. You don't know what a kitar is? Um, I do. I was there. Uh, I, I, why did I want that watch so badly? And I think back now, and it's like, well, because I made a choice that this was the exact right thing. That No, because everybody else had one is why I wanted one. Because that's what I was told to want. It's what I was taught and conditioned that I needed. And I look back at my life. I think so often we look back on our life and we go, well, yeah, here are all the things that influenced us. And they changed us and they moved me. And, and this person did this and this thing happened and that happened this. And that's why all these things happened to me. But right now I'm in control. I'm the one driving the ship now, but not, not yesterday back. You think that 10 years we're going to look back at today and go like, yeah, I was like, there were things leading me then too. I think that there's just things. I think that part of being human is being led. 
right? Whether we know it or not, whether we want to be or not, I think that we are influenced far more than we think that we are. Uh, one of the things that, condition, that, that um, influences us is our own heart. And in the Bible, our heart is that place that we live out of. Uh, the seat of who we are, our will, our desire, our passion, our heart, uh, our the thing that we love, right? That's the heart uh, of it. And so it says this, it, last week in, in 1 John 3, we looked at this text and it said in verse 19, but this, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything, uh, part of the th- one of the things that influences us is our heart. And one of the ways, according to scripture, that our heart influences us is by condemning us. Hmm. That is fascinating to me. Uh, we go before God and we have a choice to make and uh, to under- how to understand the situation. And what God has said, what God has declared is that when we have faith in Jesus, uh, our status has changed. Our relationship to God has changed. And, and that we have a new relationship. And the relationship is that of a child. A child of God. Sonship and daughtership. Right? That we are a child of God. And then our heart, when we mess up, when we screw up, or when we just you know, know that we're not enough, and we go in front of God, our heart will often say, yeah, right, but that relationship's really built on you deserving it. God declared it, but you gotta deserve it too. And our heart condemns us, and we begin to believe that we need to deserve this love, this status that he's given to us, and that we have to somehow earn it. And and so the two different things lead us to two very different places in life. Uh, So if we live out of needing to earn our salvation, if we uh, live out of this need to earn our status as sonship, uh, it leads us to one of two places. We either become despairing, because we can't live up to the thing, right? There's some kind of standard that we've set in our head that this is what it means to be a good person and we can't live, live up to it. So we try to earn and then we just fall into despair or we actually can do it on our own for a little bit, right? We actually, you know, we can stop the thing and we can mechanically shift our behavior and our habits and we look at ourselves and go, I did pretty good, I'm pretty good. And, and that leads to another place uh, that's not good, which is to think that God owes us now. I've earned my status and God owes me. And so we end up in this place where we either feel like we'll never live up, we cannot earn, or we live in this place where we think we have earned and God owes us, and those are both deadly places to be. Very precarious. But instead, what it says is that God has declared us through faith in Jesus Christ to be sons and daughters. Not based on what we've done, but based on what Jesus did, right? So this is a whole different way of living, to live out of that place where it's not, the relationship's not built on deserving it. It's not based on deserving it, but it's built on being declared because of who we are being found in Jesus. That is what happens in our heart. Man, it's crazy for me to think that our heart will trick us. Our heart's powerful, right? It, it'll, it'll, it'll make you drive to Atlanta and stand in line for a thing, right? Our heart is powerful. It will trick you and fool you into thinking that you need this. It will trick you into fooling, fooling, fooling you into believing that you can earn and put God in your stead, in your O, that he owes you. So what, what are we supposed to do when this happens, when this powerful force in our heart, what we love, that we would live up, what do we do? Well, well, he told us. He says, you need to know this, 
when you go before God and your heart condemns you, God is greater than our heart. That's what we do. We live in a different reality. We live in that reality that God has said these things and those things are now true. God is greater than what you have done. God is greater than what's been done to you. God is greater than what you think about yourself. God is greater than what you've been told about yourself. God is greater and his opinion matters more. What he says, what he has declared is reality itself. God is greater than our hearts. And when our hearts turn against us, we go to God and say, remind me of the reality that is because of what Christ has done, that I'm okay, that I am saved. But the truth is that it's not just our hearts that turn against us. Uh, There's more in this world uh, trying to deceive us and trick us than just our hearts. So chapter four today is where we're going to be. Beloved, this is what it says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It is not just your heart that is trying to cause you to stumble. It is not just your heart trying to trick you. It is not just your heart lying to you and deceiving you. But apparently there are things in the world. And John says, don't believe every spirit that comes along. Don't believe everything that person that comes along that sounds spiritual, that looks spiritual, that claims to be from God, that claims to have all these promises. Don't believe them. You need to test them first. And... When someone came to the church that John is the overseer of, and they began to say things, that they, they were saying that Jesus hadn't come in the flesh. This was a specific situation that John is addressing. Someone actually come and said, yeah, but Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. So John is, John is, John is speaking to a specific situation that is ha- happening in this church. These people that are coming to you and saying that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, they're not from us. They're not from God. H- how can you say that? How can you believe that? Don't believe those things. You need to test these people who are claiming to have some kind of spirituality that you need to have. Test it. Bounce it off of the things that you already know to be true. Jesus really did come in the flesh. He's, direct- he's already brought this up. He's mentioning it again. So it's worth real quick just running through why this matters. Uh, it matters that Jesus came into the flesh according to the Bible. Uh, there are libraries of books written about why it was necessary. But just, it has to, it has to do with God's justice, right? Jesus came in the flesh to fulfill God's justice. He, he came in the flesh so that we can know that our flesh is going to one day be resurrected, that creation is good. He came in the flesh. Uh, This uh, church father, uh, Gregory of uh, Nazianzus, said this. He says, that which he did not assume, he has not healed. What God, what Jesus did not take on doesn't get fixed. So by coming and taking on flesh, we know that he will fix our flesh as well. 
That is part of the promise. He came in the flesh. It means that, uh, it means that well, that sin in the flesh is defeated, that we actually have freedom, that we're not controlled by our passions, but there is another way. And we also know because he came in the flesh that he, empath- he, he <laughs> empathizes with us. We do not have a great high priest, the author of Hebrews says, who is unfamiliar with our suffering, but knows. He knows the suffering. He knows the loneliness. He knows the rejection. He knows these things, all because he came in the flesh. It is critical. Now, here's the deal. I'm not going to unpack those things. That's probably an entire sermon series in itself, but we're not going to do that today because I don't know that necessarily, I don't know, if you're coming here, right? If you've been here, I think you believe those things. I don't think anybody's like, nah, it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. We say it every single week, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why? Because he came in the flesh. I don't, I don't think you guys doubt that at all. I don't think that you, I don't think you're, you're coming in here and thinking like, I, don't, I wonder if Jesus really came in the flesh. I think you believe that. I hope that you believe that. So I'm not, not going to unpack those things today, though. They, do, they deserve uh, treatment. Instead, I think there's another way that we can actually deny that Jesus came in the flesh, crucified, buried, raised from the dead, and ascended into heaven. I think there's another way that we can deny that truth. Here's what I mean. Uh, even though we don't deny these things, I think we can deny it this way. We can deny that Jesus came and died and rose again. He came in the flesh. Uh, when we begin to believe that ah, it happens to us, we, we slip into believing that something besides Jesus can save us. Does, does that make sense? It's just so easy to believe in the world that we live in that the next thing will fix everything, Right? I mean, you're kind of told that over and over again. The next thing will make everything okay. Hey, you know what's coming next week? It's going to fix everything, right? Next week, there's magic happening. The next relationship, maybe? The next podcast, right? The next book, the self-help book that I read? The, you know, the next house that I have? The next car? The, the next, the next, the next. And we're always reaching. Have you noticed that? That we live in a culture that's always reaching for that very next thing because and keeping our options always open because we need to know that the next thing will make everything okay. And when we do that, when we begin to believe that we can have the next thing and everything will be okay, that we can have Jesus and this thing is what we really need to be saved. If we need Jesus and this other thing for everything to be okay, what we're really saying is I need that thing. And what we end up doing, unfortunately, is making up a Jesus that isn't the real Jesus that came in the flesh. We make up a Jesus that's a genie Jesus, right? And then we get mad that he's not giving us the thing that we need that that will save us. And he's like, I can't, the real Jesus is like, I can't give you that thing thinking it will save you. It's not going to save you. That will be bad for you. And then we blame the real Jesus because the fake genie Jesus that we have didn't give us the next house that we wanted. And what we've actually done without realizing it is we've denied that Jesus came and died on the cross because we needed him to. Make sense? When we're always reaching and believing that something else besides Jesus will fulfill and satisfy us, I think really what we're doing is denying that he needed to come at all. Because if I could just have that and be happy, what do I need him for? And it's a dangerous place in our soul and our heart and our, the world begins to trick us and try to move us into believing that. Trying to believe that there's another savior, that there's another way, that there's another way to deal with forgiveness. There's another way to find fulfillment. And, and it just, it's just always out of reach, but we keep all of our options open so that the next watch watch will make everything okay. 
And it won't. It won't. And we put all our hopes on sometimes uh, uh, the next relationship, the next person, we, 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 the next, if this would just happen, if that would just happen, if I could just have a, a spouse, if my, I could just have a kid, if my kid would just act right, if my spouse would just act right, right, then everything would be okay and I would be fine. And the reality is it's not ever going to, and it would be wrong of Jesus to just give us those things and make us think that we're going to be okay. Because we need him and him alone for salvation. So that is one of the ways that we can begin to believe that this is, that Jesus is unnecessary. But this is not the only test. John's test about are these people proclaiming that Jesus came in the flesh, that's not the only test. He's dealing with this specific situation. There's other things that we need to examine, I think. In John's world, it was common to talk about spirits, right? That's a thing, right? Talk about spirits. I mean, the Roman consul, like we know that they would, the Roman government, they would consult oracles, you know? Uh, it's pretty common for people to claim to be prophets. But we're modern people though, right? When was the last time you went and consulted an oracle? Like, we don't do that, right? We don't consult prophets. Although I'm, I'm, I'm increasingly concerned uh, uh, with the rise of uh, um, horoscope talk. Have you, have you guys noticed this? Like, like famous people like talking about horoscope stuff? It's going to make me be a preacher I don't want to be, right? I grew up and like horoscopes were like terrifying, right? The, the, the tiny little you know, country churches that I went to, like you would just like be fussed at all the time. Like, don't even turn to that page. You rip that section out of the newspaper. And if you can't rip the newspaper, don't get the newspaper. Like, it was that kind of like terrifying thing that your, your eyes are going to, I was terrified that my eyes would glance across the horoscope one day uh, and not know that I had done it and that demons were going to drag me to hell. Like it was that kind of deal. And then you get older, you know, and you're like, well, that's not a real thing. That's not the situation. You know, no, it's just stupid. The people don't believe that this star, but they do. They're do- it's happening again. People are doing it now. Don't do that. Like, don't do that. The star, it's, it's gravity. Don't do that. It's gravity. You don't, don't live your life based off, no, don't do that. Anyway, I don't think that we're doing that, but we are modern people. We are modern people, and so I don't know that we think much about the forces that are outside of us, right? Things that are outside of us influencing us. Or at least we maybe don't personify it and attach a goal, right? I mean, we're modern people. Which, by the way, is a new thing, right? Uh, a very helpful book, a guy named Charles Taylor. He's a, a philosopher, a uh, Catholic philosopher. And he, well, he was a philosopher, but he was also Catholic. This uh, philosopher, Charles Taylor, he wrote a book called uh, Secular Age, hugely influential on a lot of people, but I, I, I include myself in that. And he talked about, he wrote this story, he says, I want to tell you a story, this is about how we got to a place where just a couple hundred years ago, it was unthinkable to believe that there were not, that there were there, that forces out there, that there weren't forces out there trying to influence you. How do we get from that place where today it's the default reaction in the West? He uses the word porous. We used to believe that we were porous. Things outside could influence us. And now we think that we're not, that we're this shell. This is just us, and we make us, and nothing really influences us. It's a new idea. And so they believe that we're porous. We now think that we're not porous, that we're not affected. We would say things like this, though, right? I mean, you would agree with this. I mean, you could say to me, hey, Chris, you know what? You're right about, like, we're, social media is killing us. I've read this, the science on it. It's, it's affecting us. Uh, it's... Tearing society, it's 
making us, it's dividing us, uh, it's increasing anxiety levels, it, it's doing all of these things. I need to quit, but I can't. I'm trying to quit. You know what? I'm working on it. You know, I think that a lot of people would be able to say, yeah, I, I affirm that. That's true. But we wouldn't necessarily probably be as quick to say that there are forces in this world using technology attempting to trick us to increase our anxiety, that are trying to defeat us by dividing us. There are forces in this world that utilize technology to split us. I mean, I don't know that we're ready to say that, right? I mean, I think we look at them and sometimes, at least most modern people, would look at that kind of thinking and say, look at, I mean, yes, I hear what they're talking about, but they were just, they were just a little naive, right? They didn't understand what we understand today. On the other hand, uh, we live in the richest society that's ever existed on the face of the planet, and we're riddled with anxiety, but they were naive, though, to believe that there were forces that, uh, that affect us. I mean, we consume like nobody ever has before. We consume so much stuff. As a matter of fact, it's huge business to store all of the things that we purchase that we don't have room for in our house. We need another place that we just pay someone to hold that stuff in case we one day want it. And we can't sleep at night. But they were naive to think that there were things outside of us that influenced us. Uh, they were kind of silly to think about this. I mean, I, I, tr- it's true that I never, ever thought that I might not get my next meal. But still worry incessantly about everything. But they were naive, not me. Can we at least agree if we're not going to put a personification behind it with the goal of tearing us and breaking us down, which is what's happening, if we're not going to do that, can we at least agree that there are forces in this world trying to convince us of what to love, what to want, what to do, and how to act? Can we at least believe that there are things that influence us, that trip us up along our goal? Uh, We have to test these spirits. There are things in the world that want us to love the wrong things. So what is a spirit? What are the spirits of this age, right? What are the spirits of our age, the things that come into our lives to test us? The things that come into our lives, should we listen to them or not? I think one of the things that maybe defines our age, right, when someone asks how you're doing, when you see somebody and you shake hands, like, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? How you been? What, is, what do you say? Busy. That's what everybody says, right? I say it. Busy, you know, busy. Busier than I want to be. I ran an experiment for a little while where I said bored just to see what people would do. Did not go great. People did not love that. How are you doing? Bored. I'm just bored all the time. So much time on my hands. What do I do with all the time? What do you do all day? People did not love that. Would do, but we, we just, that's our reaction. Here's the question though. Let's test the spirit. Is that good or bad that we're busy? I mean, it could be either, right? I mean, if you are busy about doing life-giving things, if you are doing things that give you life and the people around you life, that's, that's not a bad thing, right? Or if you're in a season where you just have to, or you're, you're just struggling to make ends meet and you're in this season where you have to be busy, if, or if, if you are in a place where the things that you do just bring joy into your life and those around you, if you are doing things that Christ is glorified in, Is being busy wrong? No, of course not. Uh, 
If you can go and be about a bunch of different things, but at the same time be a non-anxious presence, wouldn't that not glorify Christ? I'm not talking about wearing a Christian t-shirt to every kid's baseball game, right? I'm talking about that. I'm talking about being a presence where people look and go, why, no matter what happens, does this person seem so anchored, so certain and so sure? Are we that kind of non-anxious presence in a world full of chaos? If so, is busyness bad? I wouldn't think so. But let's be real honest for a second. Is that your busyness? Is that the result of your busyness? Is it Because it's not the result of mine. The result of my busyness is constant chaos of the heart. My busyness is all built on providing for me, serving me. I have robots that clean my clothes, that clean the dishes, that clean the floors. And I still somehow don't have time. Either I'm lying to myself or I'm filling my days with a bunch of stuff that maybe doesn't matter as much as I think it does. If that's the case, if it is not God-glorifying, if my motivations are incredibly selfish, then let me tell you that this testing the spirit, that spirit of this age, man, it's not good. It's bad. It's real bad for all of us. Another spirit of this age I've noticed is, is, is the encouragement that we're supposed to be um, generous. Is that good or bad? It, it could be both, right? I mean, if your motivation to be generous is to build up your own ego, that's not great. I mean, yeah, I mean, be generous anyway, but like fix the, fix the heart part though. It's good to be generous, but if your goal and motivation is for attention, then you've received a reward already, the Bible says. If your goal is to earn from God, then being generous, that's not necessarily a good thing. But if your goal is to glorify Christ, to be obedient to him and what he said, then being generous can be this beautiful, amazing thing. Another spirit of our age, for sure, is listening to yourself, right? How often are you told to just look inside and feel, you know, look inside of what you feel, Uh, look inside of what you, be true to yourself, and you need to live that truth out. Is that good or bad? I tricked you, it's not both. It's always bad. That's a terrible idea. You should never do that. It's always bad. The Bible actually says your heart is deceitful above all things. Why would you listen to it? The Bible also says this. <laughs> it's so good. God says, to, God says this. He goes, uh, hey, uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts. We, I'm not saying that our thoughts sometimes won't overlap with God's thoughts, but his thoughts are so much higher than ours. And so listening to ourselves is not a good way to be. That's the spirit of this age that needs to be tested, that one can be dismissed outright. Let's do one more. I think we're told a lot, I think it's great, uh, to be grateful. It's a good thing. We're told to be grateful. I've heard that. People say that in all different walks of life, in all different places. That the spirit of gratitude. And here's the deal. I am, I am absolutely for it. And I'm not, but you gotta be, clear, let me be clear, I'm not talking about the, um, like, like the hashtag blessed garbage, that's like a, that's just a mix of ego and bad idea and a tattoo, right, like that's just awful, I'm not, I'm not for that, uh, I'm talking about actual genuine gratitude, are you grateful, can you be grateful for the things that you have without comparing what you have to someone else, can you actually look at your house and go like, I have, I have shelter. I'm grateful for this. God has given me this. Or do you look at your house and go, no, it's a nice house. I'm super grateful for it. But you know what? It'd be nice if, 
Can we be grateful for the things that we've been given? Can we receive with gratitude in our heart and be grateful? Comparison is the killer of gratitude, and there's no way we're going to ever be joyful without gratitude. Can we look at our situation? Can we look at what we've been given? And no matter the struggles, no matter how it compares, can we be grateful and trust that God is in control? That is an excellent spirit that we should definitely receive as being from God because it conforms with Scripture. It glorifies Christ when we do it properly. It glorifies God, and this is a thing that we should do in our heart. I know that these things sound small, right? Uh, here's what I've said to you. I've said, hey, you know, like gratitude's good, right? Uh, generosity is good. Uh, uh, they seem like little bitty things. Work on busyness. There are things that we go, yeah, 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 I need to be generous. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm going to get to the busyness thing right after my kids are 40. And, and I'm going to get to uh, all of these other things they're little things, though, right, that we don't need to deal with. But here's the deal. I think that these are actual real battles that matter. I think that they're real battles, and we think that they're little things. But the reality is, in a long journey of our life, a one-degree deviation at some point, 10 years later, is a long way from where we should be. Or, uh, as C.S. Lewis wrote in The Great Divorce, an amazing book, hell begins with a grumbling mood. Always complaining, always blaming others, but you're still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it's nipped in the bud. What is influencing us? What is guiding us? Are they the spirits of this age that we aren't testing? that say this is the path to happiness or is it a spirit from God? What is influencing us? Is it influencing us to be increasingly anxious, increasingly worried, increasingly motivated to elevate ourselves, or is it increasing us to be, or is it guiding us and in, in, in helping us increase in joy and peace, love, patience? Those are the spirit. That is the spirit that comes from God. The influences there that move us and shape us, that no matter what happens, somebody like James can write, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Because you know who you are, you know what's going on, and you know that this is in God's hand. So it, it, these things in this world that are constantly trying to trip us up, it, it's a dangerous world, it seems like. If my own heart is against me, there's things in the world that are against me. What in the world am I supposed to do? How do I, how am I supposed to win? And he says this, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John doesn't give them some pep talk like, you're going to be all right, don't worry about it. You guys are fine, I know you got this. 
He secures it in the fact that God has already done something. They are found in God. God has accomplished the thing. You need to know that the world has already been defeated. And if you were found in Christ, that would be a phrase that Paul would use, uh, if you were found in Christ, and John would agree, that he abides in you and you abide in him by faith, that through grace you are declared to be a child of the king, you know that you have already won. John is not denying that there will be struggles, that there will be battles, that there will be setbacks and there will be some things that you flat out lose. What he's saying is that the thing that is right outside of our reach, the thing that beckons us forward to heaven, that will never be insecure. It has been done. It has been accomplished. It doesn't mean that we stop fighting. It doesn't mean that we give up. It doesn't mean that we don't resist and drive out the evil things that that tempt us to to veer from, to trust in something besides Christ. We still fight those battles. But here's what you need to know, that in the end, who you are because of what Jesus has done, that's locked down. The victory has been won. It has happened. When you fail and you fall flat on your face time and time and time again and you wonder how in the world can I get back up, here's what we do. We run back to God and we ground ourselves in that reality. Not the lie that what we've done, that, what we, that, that our constant failure somehow d- separates us from God, but we go back to God who has declared us, declared us his. We go back to God who has declared that the victory is won, that it's already happened, that it's been done, and we rest secure in that, and we live out of that place. The problem is our reality gets all mixed up. I'll never be happy if I don't have that watch. I'll never be happy if I don't have that car. I'll never be happy if this doesn't get fixed. I'll never, ever have this. And we put all these other things out there that will save us instead of grounding us in the reality that we've already been saved. That what Christ has accomplished by faith in him is applied to us and that is secure. Outside of time and space with God, we're just waiting for the time and space to catch up. That's the story of the Bible. That's the narrative from beginning to end that God has done this thing that he's created and he will recreate and the way that we are attached to that is by faith in Jesus and it's already happened in eternity and we're just waiting for minutes and seconds to get there. That's the promise of the gospel. That is the place that we live out of, that we have this secured in God. Uh, there's this passage, Second Kings uh, 6. There's this story, the, the prophet and... Uh, this kid comes to him and he says, hey, his helper, hey, look outside. I've looked outside of the city walls and it, we are surrounded by an army. And the prophet says, don't worry about it. There's more on our side than on there. And the kid is like, what? Are you, what are you talking about? This army is huge. It's going to crush us. And he prays to God. God, open his eyes. And you get one of these moments. I love these moments in scripture where the veil is pulled back between heaven and earth. And he says, show him what he sees. And he, the, the kid opened his eyes and he looked around and he saw chariots of fire innumerable surrounding the other army. Revelation is that. I think Revelation, if you ever read Revelation, it's freaky, right? Like it's all this like, you know, prostitutes riding dragons kind of weirdness, right? Like it's just amazing. I think what that is, is is John trying to describe in, in words this unreal thing. Let me show you. I know you look around and it looks like the, Roman, the Romans are winning. You walk out your front door and there's these arches and these armies and it looks like Rome is winning. Let me pull back the veil for you just a second. No way Rome wins. 
And I think that we live in a day and age where we're like, how are we going to win? How's it, how do we live in a world like this? And we feel like we have to fight and scrap and, 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 and anything but stopping and resting in what God has done. We wrestle, yes, but we wrestle not as those who wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this present age. We wrestle against these things that want to take our heart and veer us away from Jesus. Anything that takes us away from Christ, anyone that takes us away from the real Christ is a spirit that we must not take lightly and we must drive out of our hearts. This uh, guy... Henry Nouwen, he was um, a theologian. Uh, I think he was from uh, the Netherlands. Uh, he said this. He said, let go of your complaints. He's summarizing in a creative way some of the things that Jesus said. Let go of your complaints. Forgive those who loved you poorly. Step over your feelings of being rejected and have the courage to trust that you won't fall into an abyss of nothingness, but in the safe embrace of a God whose love will heal all your wounds. Don't oversimplify. Your heart will try to trick you. The world will try to trick you. But we rest secure in what God has accomplished. Let that be the thing that guides you. Let that be the thing that grounds you. Let that be your reality because that's what it is. It is reality. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the salvation that we have in Jesus. (laughs) I mean, where else would we find salvation? Everything else is so poor. Everything else lacks so much. But we have salvation in Christ. We have victory in him. It's already been won. Death and hell have already been defeated. And we have life. Give us courage to live out of this place, out of this certainty. Give us eyes to see the victory has already been won. It feels like we're battling and it feels like the forces against us are far more than we can handle. But God, you are greater than our heart and God, you are greater than the things of this world. Give us strength to wrestle with the things of this world that would turn our hearts from you, that would offer us something lesser than child being a child of the king, that would offer us something than the inheritance of eternal life, that offers us so much less. Let us see these promises for what they are, these lies for what they are, just terrible, awful, worthless attempts at corrupting and turning us aside. Instead, let us see the majesty of who you are and what you have done in Christ, that we may be made like him, that we are counted like him, that what can be said of Jesus can be said of us, that we are your child and that we will live forever in faith, by faith in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.